1: PlushCare.com slash weight loss. It's the Ancients on History Hit. I'm Tristan Hughes, your host. And in today's podcast, well, we're going to ancient China, finally, because we're talking about one of the most extraordinary, iconic, ancient archaeological sites in the whole world. Yes, we are talking all about the Terracotta Army, the Terracotta Warriors, built more than 2,000 years ago as part of a huge mausoleum complex, more than 50 square kilometres in size, constructed for the first emperor of China. So what do we know about the Terracotta Warriors? How were they constructed... Why? What was their purpose in the mausoleum? And could there potentially be an influence from the ancient Mediterranean, from the ancient Hellenistic world? Well, to answer all of these questions and so much more, I was delighted to get on the podcast a few weeks back to chat in person with Dr. Xu Jin Li. Xu Jin is an honorary senior research fellow at UCL, and she's also done a lot of work with the Museum for the Terracotta Army out in China. She is one of the leading experts all about the Terracotta Warriors, with a particular focus on their bronze weapons, on the logistics behind how this huge, monumental army was constructed. Now, this is going to be a two-part podcast. In this first part, we're going to be focusing in, giving an overview, shall we say, of the Terracotta Army. Whilst the second part, which we'll release in a few weeks' time, we're really going to delve into the details of the weapons themselves and what these bronze weapons placed among these warriors, what that can tell us about the time, the effort, the logistics behind creating this huge army more than 2,000 years ago. But without further ado, to talk all about the Terracotta Army, a fantastic overview, here's Shujin. Shujin, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. Now, I mean, the Terracotta Army, this is one of the greatest archaeological discoveries, one of the greatest archaeological sites in the whole of the world. You can't think of any site quite like it, can you? It's so unique.
2: Yes, that's the Terracotta War is really unique in China and also in the world. Yeah, so these uh, life-size. The terracotta warriors because, like we're talking about other sculptures, because they're made of stone or made other materials, but actually this life-size terracotta warriors made of clay, and also particularly this kind of clay only in the Loess Plateau in China. Yeah, so that can shape it and also can really sculptured, so and then made like this kind of life-size terracotta warriors.
1: First of all, a bit of background, let's set the scene for the Terracotta Army first of all. When was the Terracotta Army constructed? When was it built?
2: So the Terracotta Warriors were constructed 2000 years ago, more than 2000 years ago, you know, because they are related to the first emperor. So the first emperor was born in 259 BC and he unified China, we call unified China, established the first empire in China, the Qin Empire in 221 BC. So the Tarakan Warriors definitely were buried for his afterlife for himself after he died, you know. So this for his afterlife. So that's kind of roughly about 210, the emperor died. So the Tarakan Warriors, we estimate Tarakan Warriors probably built roughly that time, a little bit earlier probably. So so that's like prepare for his afterlife.
1: And just to set the scene, so was this terracotta army, these soldiers, were they just one small fraction of the huge tomb that was to be built for this emperor of China?
2: Yeah, you are right, because the first emperor actually pursued immortality that time. Yeah, and he really liked to live longer. And also at the same time, you know, he also had his Muslim constructed. So that's kind of another way, alternative way of pursuing his immortality. So that's like when he became the king, so he was only 13 years old, so he started plan this muslim so the muslim cover about what we call tomb complex 56 square kilometers 56
1: square kilometers it's absolutely huge
2: so the terracotta, warriors, terracotta army only small part yeah, it's a very small part of the whole tomb complex
1: so how was this first of all the discovery of this do we know how this terracotta army these soldiers were first discovered
2: yeah actually we're talking about officially discovered because in 1974 in march in quite uh, in the spring very dry spring in that uh, local area because these local farmers they dug well yeah to get some water you know and, and then they find some pieces of target figures and also they find some bronze weapons like bronze arrows and then they reported to the local archaeological institute and then archaeologists came and find. originally because when the archaeologists came here they said oh yeah probably several character figures or some piece of pottery or some piece of uh, um, uh, bronze. But when they have archaeological survey and also excavation, they were so surprised because these three pieces of terracotta warriors, and also estimate about eight thousand warriors there.
1: And so, have we uncovered the whole of the terracotta warriors site, or are there still those parts of the site which we haven't yet been able to excavate yet, where there might be more of those warriors still to be?
2: Yes, you know, we excavation only small part of the Tarkin worries because we have ongoing archaeology. But actually originally in 1970s, we had partial excavation, we call yeah, just a small part, one-fifth of P1, so the quite small section of P1. And then we have ongoing archaeology on P3, so that's quite small, 68 character worries And also we had the partial excavation after archaeological survey in P2. So that's all together, P1 and P2, P3, so the target worries, we only have now still a little bit more than one-fifth excavation, but ongoing archaeology still continue.
1: You mentioned weapons, and I promise we're going to get to the weapons very soon, those bronze weapons. But let's focus on the warriors themselves first of all. You mentioned there are three pits that we'll talk about in a bit. But the design, the style of these warriors, what do we know? Are they very like between each different figure? Can you see differences? Can you see variation in their creation, in their design?
2: Yes, the Target Warriors, um, because we carry out many researches on that, studies on that, on the target Warriors, because originally, so uh, German historian, and also work on the uh, Tarakat Warriors in Chinese archaeology for a long time, uh, yeah, Landros, Professor Landros, uh, but actually Professor Yuan, our former director, probably originally they suppose the Tarakat Warriors, probably we call mold and sculpture. Mold first, and then sculpture in detail. So that's the of worries, The process of of making the terracotta I actually the detail sculpture really. So these each target worries were well sculptured individually. So they build each target warriors individually. You know, there's like from the bottom, of the feet, and to the top of the head. So that's really. Completely individually produced. Not really, some people probably in the website you can see someone supposed to call modular production. That means different types of head, different types of arms, and they assemble it together. That's not the case. The case is that's really artistic work. And they well sculptured, probably they, they shape the clay in the first part. And they build the Tarakita Warriors just step by step from the bottom to top and the sculpture in details. So the every Tarakita Warriors have their very unique characters. You know, the eyes, the ears, the facial features, it's quite different from each other.
1: That's amazing. It's so amazing when you consider just the sheer scale of it all. I mean, you mentioned, of course, that this is part of the mausoleum, you know, for this first emperor. but this particular part, these figures, this army, what function were they supposed to have within this huge mausoleum? What do they represent?
2: Yeah, the function is because they're part of the tomb complex, the big first emperor's Muslim complex, and that's also the part of the believe of the first emperor, he believed afterlife. Actually, he tried to pursue immortality, but at the same time, he believed afterlife. He think he can, you know, to be immortal, and uh, when he died in the other, in the underground empire. So that's the target of warriors was built, supposed to protect him in his afterlife. So that's like quite close to his Muslim, to his coffin chamber. So they're located at the east part of the coffin chamber because the emperor conquered the other six states in the east. So he worries about the enemy coming from east. You know, the old uh, enemies, old spirit or evil spirit. So that's the territory worries located at east and also facing the east. And to protect him against the enemy coming from the East.
1: I mean, that's amazing. So how can we gather that information that the reason that they're placed where they are looking East is to protect against potential enemies from the East? Do we have literature like to affirm this or is this mainly from the archeology? span
2: based on the history and the literature because like the ancient documents recorded, we have that time, you know, historical period and we have some written documents and also mentioned because that time how the location of the Qin kingdom and also originally expanded into the Qin empire. So that time, you know, we call warring state era in China. So the seven states in central eastern part of China and the, the Qin kingdom Located at the west, relatively west, but we still call it central nowadays, and uh, so the other six states all in the east part, and also they so that the Qin emperor, the Qin first emperor, so conquered the other six states, so that kind of established the Qin first empire, and also he called himself first emperor, and also the archaeological discoveries also show because like this is kind of location of the Qin kingdom and the Qin empire, so that's quite close, modern-day Xi'an. So the Terracotta Bar is buried in Lintong. And then the other six states, also we find other archaeological, we have other archaeological discoveries in other six states as well.
1: I mean, that's absolutely brilliant. I love that mixture of archaeology and literature when it comes together like that. If we go on from that, and talking about the Terracotta Army, Now, we talked about the warriors and how they differ in their designs, but it's not just warriors that are depicted. There are also animals too, aren't there?
2: Because this is quite interesting part in the Qin First Emperor's Muslim complex. So we also find, you know, because of the big, large quantity of stables, because Qin Empire, Qin Kingdom, originally we called Qin clan. There's a small group located at the western border of that time called Zhou period. And they raised horses for the Zhou dynasty. So the early dynasty before Qin dynasty. So that's for the Zhou king. So they raised horses because they at the western part, they have pastures for the horse raising. So that's kind of, they have, large quantitative stables that time. And also one of the reasons for Qing conquer the other states because the cavalry, they have a cavalry because they have horses and also they have uh, powerful crossbows. Yeah, so that's kind of part of his history. And also when the emperor died, the emperor tried to bring everything to his afterlife. And horses is very important part For the emperor's life, for the the Qin Empire, so we find the the stable horses. Horses, we have, we find the terracotta horses, you know, in the terracotta army. So they have a chariot horses, and also they have a cavalry horses. And at the same time, we also find lots of horse skeletons. Real horses were buried in the Muslim in the whole Muslim country.
1: That is so interesting when you compare it to other ancient cultures like we did one a few weeks, a few months ago about the Sarka culture in Kazakhstan, Eastern Kazakhstan, and their horse burials along with their elite figures. And it seems like this is, as you say, a similar thing. We have the horses depicted in the terracotta army, but as you say, there are real life horses buried there too. Is this very much an elite status symbol herding back to the Qin heritage, shall we say, their close association with cavalry?
2: Yes, we're talking about that. It's a big story because like the Qin uh, empire, so they rise the Qin empire. Because Qin is located at the west, they have uh, connections with the uh, surrounding Asia step, you know, the, the nomads, so the people, they raise horses. And also Qin is linked with, you know, that time Hongs, so Xiongnu we call, you know, and they are uh, expertise on horses. And also another that's like a kind of nomadic group. So that's why Qin have their very good cavaries. And also in the eastern part, so we're talking about the horses. In the other six states, because the environmental, the environmental uh, reasons, because they don't have uh, enough pastures because the agriculture in the center part in the eastern part, farming land. So they cannot you know have a good horses for them. And the chin that's located west, they have a pasture, but it, apart from farming land, they also have a pastures and they also have a grasses for horses. So that make the Qin getting stronger with the cavalry, with the chariots on the warfare, you know, so that kinds of strong military power <laughs> so conquer the other states. Yeah.
1: It's so interesting, that, 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 that heritage, as you said, they bring it forwards. So if we talk a bit more about the terracotta army before delving into the weapons themselves, one thing I'd love to ask about, you mentioned that there were three pits and these various styles of warriors. So let's go through them. If you wouldn't mind giving us an overview of what, what sorts of figures were in each pit. So if we start with pit one, what sorts of figures can we find in pit one?
2: Uh, in pit one, they're mainly infantry. So we find P one, that is the biggest in the other three uh, pits. And also that's early discovered in 1970s. So, and they start to excavate it and find, so because they have 11, we call 11 corridors, that's 11 uh, you know, lines in the each corridor. But each corridor have uh, four lines in the, in the uh, group. So, and this is mainly infantry and also with a chariot. In the middle of the infantry, but in the front row have three rows of crossbowmen. So that's three rows facing to the east. So these all have these figures have a crossbows. You know, we find crossbow triggers there and also the arrows. So that's crossbowmen. But in the middle part, so that's that's all infantry and the chariots. So that kinds of battle formation, so we're talking about in times. time, so the, the military um, array, and also how the military strategy that time. So we're talking about this infantry, this, this um, main part for this military troop, and with the chariot, with the crossbowman in front, at the back, in front, and also at the back, and also the side, the two sides. So, and, and that's like a surrounding, so that's like a square surrounding infantry, so with all these crossbowmen. So that kind of, when the troops, they come um, a little bit far distance and the crossbowmen release the arrows to the enemy. And when they close enough, so the old crossbowmen will go move away and the infantry, they will have a close combat. So that's the warfare at that time.
1: So interesting. So, uh, no doubt we're going to get back to this once again when we get to the weapons. But it's almost as if this is very much they are deployed from pit one, and we'll probably see in the other pits as well, as if they are in battle formation.
2: Yeah, that's a real battle formation. So that's kind of um, you know they arranged, you know, like really in the wolf in the battlefield. So how these troops moving forward and how these two you know two troops they fighting together so they have a long distance arrows you know uh triggers and and released arrows to the enemy and also when they come close how they have a close combat so and also they have a different weapons heavily equipped um for the different function
1: we'll get to those weapons in a bit as mentioned but pit two pit two shujin what is in pit two
2: Yeah, P2 is combination. So in P2, so let's have a chariot, you know, the eight rows of chariot and also, each row have eight chariots, so that's like sixty-four chariots. So big, we call chariots formation. So that kind of also military array in the Qin dynasty. And the chariots, so also quite important part for their warfare. And also, they have a cavalry. So cavalry, that's a very important part for the Qin. You know, the Qin troops and they, they well trained because from the historical records uh, you know because the chariots and also the cavalry they both, they were both needs well trained and uh, also they have kind of also crossbowmen and also archers they kind of section so this section in the right corner you know in the front corner and also the same as the the first military array P1 so they also the same long distance release arrows to the enemy and then after that the the crossbowmen moving to the back and they have cavalry and chariots moving they mixed uh, these cavalry chariots and also small part of infantry because they will rotate it like that and to change to the cavalry and the chariot. So that kind of mainly focus on the P1 infantry, mainly infantry, and P2 chariots in the cavalry. But they both have a crossbowman. So when the enemy coming closer, because from the long distance, they will start to release the arrows to the enemy, and then they have a close combat different
1: strategy. different strategy indeed. I mean, we've talked about chariots before on the podcast, focusing in on the Egyptians and Hittites, Roman, Iron Age. We did a little bit on Chinese chariots, but is it with Chinese chariots? And could you see from the terracotta army, are they the ones which have these huge wheels which made them able to go on various types of terrain?
2: No, not not huge wells So that seems quite different. We're talking about originally talking about chariot, probably really with the horses. They coming from the Eurasia step because it is to central China and also in central China it's from probably Shang dynasties so like uh, roughly about 1500 BC so that's kind of we start to have chariots and horses but and then to the Qin dynasty so that's like this 200 BC so and this time 300 BC and this time so the chariot revolutionize the change, you know, to fit in the, uh, in the central China, how they, the, the, the wall fares. So they have their own design kind of for the chariots, because they roughly have four horses and have a wooden chariot, but the wheel is not too big, but we call have a single shaft, single, big single shaft and with the four horses in front. And um, so that's normally in the chariot have a three target figures. One is charioteer and the other two that's called left and right. <laughs> so they're two warriors and they can fight in on the different directions,
1: yeah. Okay, so a three-man team as it were for each chariot.
2: Yeah, sometimes have a four. Sometimes, sometimes four. four because one is like official, officials, you know, like kind of generals on the top of the chariot.
1: I mean, actually, I guess, talking about officials, generals and commanders, do we see that, is the king or emperor himself portrayed in the terracotta army, or is he not at all? Is it more just his army and his subordinates?
2: We don't think that, uh, yeah, the the emperor, like I know in in other empires. So it seems different, because I think the Qin First Emperor, not really involved in Chariot in charity, all the cavalry, yeah. But probably he, he really rides on the horses, but actually, not uh, involved in this you know, target army. But actually, his tomb, his coffin chamber, quite close. But definitely, he was the real commander, yeah.
1: Quite right. I could ask so many questions, but let's keep going on to pit three. Pit three, what is in pit three?
2: Yeah, pit three we call headquarters. So P3 is quite smaller, the smallest one in these uh, three P's. P3, um, so they only have uh, 68 worries but the P3 was seriously damaged because due to um, probably the quite deep and also probably shortly after the Qin Empire, because the Empire is quite short, only 15 years. And then after that, the farmers rebelling, so came into the Muslim complex and probably that time so the target warriors was damaged. So when we excavated P3, it shows the all P3, so the target figures, they all wear armors. So that's kind of armor well protected. But we couldn't find the heads, many the missing heads. Yeah, so when we excavated, but actually they have one chariot, sixty eight warriors one chariot, but also in this section, so these uh, all worried probably officials, because they stand face to face, stand uh, not really facing to the east, but they stand like a circle to talking, to discuss how they carry out this, this military, you know.
1: Strategies, some kind of strategy. That kind
2: plan. of we're talking about, this real headquarters. And also we found the animal bones, so that's the deer uh, horn in that page. So normally, because before the warfare in China, they have a kind of superstition. They need to worship the god, you know, or ancestors, you know, with animals, with animal head or animal bones, and to protect them to win the battle, to win the warfare. So that kind of normally in this happened in the headquarters. So that means. This really headquarters headquarter for discussion, the military strategy, and also at the same time to worship the God, to protect them, to win the war.
0: As you listen to this, me and Team History Hit are on our way down to the Weddell Sea joining the expedition mounted by the Falklands Maritime Heritage Trust to the place where we believe the endurance lies on the seafloor. If we find it, it'll be the greatest underwater discovery since the Titanic. So get ready. Dan Snow's History Hit podcast is the exclusive place to follow in real time the search for the Lost Endurance Shipwreck in Antarctica, with regular episodes and updates dropping in the feed throughout the month. Hello, host of Dan Snow's History at podcast here. History isn't just dates and facts. It's about the incredible stories that shape our world. Three times a week on my podcast, my expert guests and I bring you extraordinary stories of heroism, discovery, mystery... power. Expect tales of lost tombs, daring escapes, power-hungry rulers, and those determined to bring them all down. If you're a history lover, or just looking for a good tale, you'll want to check out Dan Snow's History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: important to yeah, those high up in the army duties which were needed before like the council of war the sacrifice I don't know if it was sacrifices or not sacrifices making sure that the gods were on your side if you're going to war against that particular people that's also interesting with pit 1 2 and 3 so thank you for explaining all of that a couple more questions before we really move on the first is of course armor now, the armor of these figures. What what do we know about the armor? How are they depicted with armor? These terracotta warriors.
2: Yeah, the terracotta warriors, because in the Qin dynasty, so they mainly used the functional armor that was leather because they produce, you know, they're made of leather. We have the historical records, you know, in the written history. So talking about because they collect all these different kinds of leathers and how they produce armors to cut into pieces, how they link them together with kind of linen threads, you know, to link the armor together. And at the same time, so in the Qin dynasty, they started to have iron armor but actually not too popular because leather armor is quite popular at that time and also we have we find a large quantity called bamboo sleeves. Bamboo sleeves they have all the, qing, the character, written characters on top and also they mention sometimes a kind of a punishment you know people like uh, they have uh, some uh, guilty or they, they made some mistakes and. then the government will force them to make armour, to contribute to the military troop. So that kind of chain society, how they manage. So that means the functional armour, mainly they use the armour made of leather. And they have sometimes have iron armour. Because we have one general find in the target army. The general, because the armour is quite different from other warriors and other officials because the armor the quite small scale they fix together and also they have top have a decorations so it shows probably the iron armor so depict iron armor but for the common soldiers for the common warriors so they wear leather armor
1: it's so interesting and I love bringing up these parallels of like ancient Greece and ancient Rome at the time. In ancient Greece especially, where you have so many soldiers who aren't wearing metal armour, they're also wearing leather such as the Linothorax or just not much armour at all. It's so interesting, you see the parallels, the high echelons, they have more metal, shall we say. I mean, I guess the other thing I'd love to ask, keeping on that ancient Greece-Rome link, is that we're quite at pains today to highlight how you know these fascinating statues that you see of ancient Greece and Rome—they would have been painted. The statues, the altars, and everything there'd have been painted. There would have been colours everywhere. Can we imagine the same with the terracotta army? Would there have been colours everywhere with these warriors?
2: Yes, you know the all these target warriors originally all well painted. Very colorful because they are all very bright red, bright blue, green, purple. So that's quite you know when I work in uh, P3 and P2, P2, mainly P3. So that's 1990s. So uh, when we excavate P3, because this uh, buried quite deep, and some colors well uh, protected, well preserved because they need moisture and temperature. But actually when we excavated, temperature and moisture changed. So the color will quickly fade it or peeling off. So feel a little bit regret because when we excavated, when we left the target worries, we were so surprised that time. I was so surprised because see the very bright color, some of the bright colors still on the target body, but some of the color, they stick to the soil because these pigments, is after 2,000 years, they're getting old, you know, they're peeling off from the terracotta body. Because the worries, you warriors, know, when they baked after five, they painted, they need some bonding agent, we call bonding agent. So put a layer of lacquer that's kind of sticky, and then pigment. So after 2,000 years, the lacquer became old. So they easily to shrink, to peeling off from the target body. So that's the color because when 1970s, we excavated pit one, so the color not well preserved, even the p one also were burned, you know, were fired before. So that kind of some of the, and also the damage because they buried for a long time. When p three excavated really the color, we find very bright color, but actually some faded quickly. After exposed, the, the temperature, the temperature and moisture change. We work with Germany for twenty years cooperation, trying to find a solution to preserve the color on the target surface. So we really have achievement. But now we have kind of, you know, some of the really well preserved the storage, and put some still well preserved colorful uh, target worries in that and with uh, temperature and moisture control. So that's we still can see. But in that small storage, we still can see some colorful worries.
1: Uh, that's brilliant. It's really nice to hear that. And did you say lacquer? Was lacquer one of the key things? Because that's one thing like we sometimes don't really focus on, especially over here, the lacquer wares and how important these things were in ancient China, weren't they? And we sometimes see them in the Begram hordes, but we rarely see them further west kind of thing. But should we also imagine like these lacquer wares, this style of pottery, can we imagine that that would have been all around that area of the terracotta warriors, the mausoleum at that time too?
2: Yeah, that's uh, talking about lacquer is quite fascinating part of probably uh, invention in early China. So the lacquer in Qin time, um, Qin dynasty, so Qin kingdom, they start to use lacquer, but the very, um, you know, good at to use lacquer at that time is the true state. The other state, that's in southern part, along Yangtze River. So that's cause they made a lot of lacquer wares. But after the Qin unification, actually Qin took uh, their technology <laughs> of using lacquer, lacquer wares, you know, because also uh, shortly after Han Dynasty, Qin Dynasty and Han Dynasty, they have lots of lacquer wares. And they also have kind of, can be used as a bonding agent because like the target worries they put lacquer there. So that means bonding agent between the target body and also the pigment. So this kind of another, not only for decoration, that served as bonding agent. The lacquer, definitely they use lacquerware sometimes as well. So that's like they painted on the surface of wood, they well preserve the well-preserved wood, you know, because the uh, wood or bamboo, they color with the, with this lacquer. And also they, they can mix different color of lacquer, so that's quite decorative. But they use these for the target worries, that's mainly for their quite sticky and for their bonding the pigments on the terracotta
1: body. I love that, love that. But, okay, enough, enough about lacquer and our tangent on lacquer. Let's go back to terracotta warriors then. And I'd love to talk a bit now about the influence, the inspiration for the terracotta warriors, because what could well have influenced the construction of the terracotta army in the way that it is?
2: Yeah, we're talking about terracotta warriors. So that's originally we, you mentioned also, I mentioned as well, because the terracotta warriors how unique the territory is because this is unique in China and also unique in the world. So, when we're talking about influence, because we're talking about the Silk Road and also we're talking about pre Silk Road, because the Silk Road, we're talking about Ning Han Dynasty with the Rome, so because they have a long distance trade route, and also the Silk will, you know, went to the West and also the kind of communication. But before that, They still probably have some communications between East and West, also because, particularly, Central Asia and also, particularly, China. That time, China with the Eurasia step. So, what I like to talk about because China, we're talking about Central China, so they are not isolated. They were not isolated before, you know, because they have lots of communications with the surrounding group, nomadic group or surrounding other group, like uh, what I mentioned, Xiongnu, other group in Central Asia, we have records or some known record, because for the archaeologists, archaeological perspective, so we're talking about, you know, millet and barley, how they originally, between the two, between the Eurasia continent, how they influence from east-west and, and also talking about animals, horses, and also the target warrior themselves. But actually we're talking about the, you know, probably have some communications or interactions or inspirations. That's what, what I mentioned before, because we're talking about Qin Dynasty, the first emperor. So he went to the west to meet are 12 giant people, and also, but these people definitely for us, that's probably quite exotic, you know, because from probably Central Asia, uh, Eurasia step, or probably a little bit further, because that's Hellenistic period, you know, after ancient Greece. But we're talking about influence, they probably really, that's what I talk, have some inspirations, probably really link to the Hellenistic world. But we're talking about the Target Warriors, that's quite local, that's quite unique, because the clay is a local clay. And also all the Tarquin Warriors, they have some people we call artisans or artists name on the back of the Target Warriors, because they normally when people produce, you know, create these Tarquin Warriors, they mark their names there. So, and also which pottery, which workshop they belong and also the sculptures, the detailed sculptures, and they also carved on the surface. It's quite unique created with local loess soil. You know, that's from the loess plateau. We're talking the unique because only this loess plateau because in ancient China or in China, no, because this loess plateau, we can create it the room because if you cut through the earth, you can create it so the room people can live inside the houses they build so because they have typical very special clay that clay can shape it and also can be sculptured because some if the soil with uh, too much sand or quite loose so you cannot create it, such kind of technical worries you know with also that's quite smooth Body and also detailed facial features. So we're talking about possible inspirations, but actually this quite local produced. The resources is local, the soil is local, and also this local concept because the afterlife, the Qin emperor thinking about pursue immortality and at the same time. He believed afterlife, and also that's the. Chinese artisans or artists create terracotta worries with a local clay and also fit in the Chinese traditional concepts. So that's unique of Chinese terracotta worries, but actually possible inspiration, but this made totally local.
1: I mean, absolutely. That local, this local creation, as you say. I love that possible influence, Hellenistic influence as well. And it's quite interesting to think, isn't it? As you say, at this time period where you do have in modern-day Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, you have a Greco-Bactrian kingdom. You have these. You have these little Hellenistic hallmarks in northwestern India, Pakistan as well. So, you could, you can understand, can't you, that these statues that might have been gotten to Afghanistan by that point then it could have been passed on some of that you know people could have seen them and then traveled further further east to china so it is wonderful to think about you know that potential influence but as you say combined with a very unique local creation it's a wonderful idea the mix of the local and the influence from the other end of the continent you know, some 2000 years ago. I mean, it blows your mind, doesn't it?
2: Yes, thinking about probably that time, the communication between the Central Asia and China, so really beyond what we imagined. We think about because this very much natural barriers because of the desert the mountains they're really difficult thinking about that time no airplane you know not traffic like today's we have cars trains so probably that's really difficult but they still have possibilities we have so many uh, archaeologists or researchers like we have Chinese called Duan Qingbo and uh, he research on um, the connections between ancient Persia and also the Qin Empire. So that's kind of connections, possible connections. And also, uh, I think Lucas Nico uh, published a paper about this link. But actually for us, we nowadays we're talking this, but we really find some sculptures in modern day Xinjiang. So that's the, the possible, and also the coins of this call it Holiness coins that time and in um, in Xinjiang part so it's possibility and also some possible inspiration and also but, but this creation really really unique in China
1: it absolutely is i mean this has been brilliant a great overview of the terracotta army so far but one question i've now got to ask considering how huge this mausoleum complex is. I mean, how much more do we still have to learn about the terracotta army in general? And then I guess also its position within the huge mausoleum.
2: Yeah, terracotta warriors really, I think they still have rich information probably need archaeologists and historians to extract from them, you know, because we, this is a fit in the big Muslim complex. And also I'm thinking about another book in Chinese, like kind of real battle formation, because you're thinking about ancient warfares, ancient, you know, military strategies, but cannot be survive a real battle formation there because with the target worries and also weapons. So you can go through from the target warriors, so to see that one perspective, the military strategy, but thinking about the target warriors stand there, that's, you know, that's life size, and also that's kind of realistic sculptures. And you also can from there to talking about, because the dresses in the Qin dynasty, and also the armors, like what what I mentioned, and the weapons, also from their back we can talking about because the clay, because the pottery at that time, how they made ceramic, and the behind is the ceramic production, you know, because the Qin Society and also talking about bronze weapons and resources of the Qin society. So that's lots of information to cover different perspective, different aspects from the Qing society. So they really we're talking about this from territory. Buries. We can see through to see the society, the people, the craftsman's behavior, the administrators' behavior and also like the people involve other people, labors involved in this, you know, from the transportation, from the workshop to the place, and how the people's behavior. Thinking about The quite vivid the scenery, the scenario of this construction.
1: The logistics behind creating such a monumental thing, isn't it? Which I guess it must have taken years, if not decades to complete. I mean, how long do we think it actually took to complete the, well I guess on the one hand the terracotta army and on the other hand the mausoleum as a whole?
2: yeah so the muslim you know if based on the historical historical records 史记, that we mentioned it took roughly about 40 years because the emperor when the emperor went to the throne when he was 13 and he started to, to build this his muslim and also probably that time he planned and um, with the minister we called him ministry boy that time the early minister but actually we probably the after the mainly construction, the main construction probably after the unification because we found some Muslim builders tombs, the cemetery of the Muslim builders. So, and they, some of the Muslim builders, they have a piece of, we call epitaph, you know, the kind of small piece of pottery and with the person's name and where it come from, and uh, why come from here? So like the reason that like, is a kind of s- small biography, you know, because the kind of, yeah, yeah, small bio, And also they have kind of talking about the person, where come from and why, because like some of them, so like on government debts and came here for the, to join the big project, the construction, and instead of paying off, the debts to the government. So that kind of information, and also mentioned the people coming from the east, you know, the other six states. So that means the Muslim construction probably mainly after unification, because this not only the the laborers coming from the Qin state, they coming from the empire. Empire is the unified, after unified six states. So that means probably Ming construction So after unification, probably within 10 years after 221 unification, an emperor died 210, probably mainly between this time period.
1: So many more questions I could ask about this. But you mentioned the craftspeople and the logistics behind that. We're going to be talking about the weapons, but we're going to wrap up this episode and we're going to save that for part two. So what I'm going to say now, Shu Jin, is Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today.
2: Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. My pleasure.
1: Well, there you go. There was Dr. Shu Jin Lee giving a fantastic overview of the terracotta army the terracotta warriors if you want to learn more then don't worry because as mentioned at the end of that episode we're going to be releasing a second part with Shujin in due course where we focus in on the bronze weapons that these warriors were holding the various types of weapons and what that can tell us about on the one hand ancient Qin armies and how they were deployed but also about the logistics about the huge scale operation you know the various workshops required to construct such a huge archaeological wonder as a small part of the monumental the ginormous mausoleum for this first Chinese emperor that's all still to come so don't you worry coming in the weeks ahead now if you want more ancients content in the meantime you can of course subscribe to our weekly ancients newsletter via a link in the description below every week I write a little blurb for that newsletter now giving you little insights into what we've been doing at ancient history hit that week who we've been interviewing what things have happened in ancient history for instance, the discovery of something that's been labelled the most important piece of prehistoric art found in the UK in the past 100 years, that was discovered this week. Of course, we talk about that. But if you want other stuff as well, little hints as to what we're going to be covering next, then that newsletter is the thing for you. Alongside that, if you'd be kind enough to leave us a lovely rating on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast from, that would be greatly appreciated as it helps us grow the Ancient's audience, spread the ancient history love, even further. P.S. my book is still newly released it is recently out. If the Wars of Alexander's Successors are of interest to you then why not give that a browse? Why not consider buying that for someone's birthday coming up you know, to fulfil that essential Wars of the Successors, early Hellenistic period, ancient history itch that you probably didn't know you have but you will have soon. That's enough rambling from me. I will see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Ancients. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com/subscribe.